Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. Hi, I'm Nick Mealy. I'm here to talk about my new book, A Newport Summer. Today on the Decorating Podcast, we are holding on to summer. So Nick, this book is 20 years of you photographing over the summers, people, parties, houses, details, lifestyles, the whole shebang. You give us a glimpse into four months, June, July, August, and September. Since the turn of the century, Newport, Rhode Island has been the holiday playground of the nation's super rich. And when the summer breeze rolls in, Newport comes alive. Your photography style is that of a modern-day Slim Aarons, taking us behind the scenes of one of the last bastions of high society. Slim Aarons captured a golden age of wealth, privilege, beauty, and leisure that occurred alongside the cultural and political backdrop. Nick, talk a little bit about how your styles are similar and how he influenced you. I've always been a big fan of Slim Aarons. I think he really captured a moment in time um, and a part of society that was traditionally very closed off. So, of course, I appreciate the comparisons to him because uh, I think he was a fabulous photographer. But I think most of the comparisons come because of our similar subject matters um, and our appreciation for uh, a certain lifestyle and a, a certain section of society. My style has different influences. Tina Barney, Wes Anderson, Norman Rockwell. So a big part of it is just really that we're capturing this section of high society that is in normal circumstances not seen. And there's a a great deal of reverence in both of our shots. You know, we're we're looking at at the world, um, not trying to expose it for any deep, dark secrets or anything like that. We're just trying to show off the fun side of it, the light, and look at it with a sense of whimsy and a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek attitude. So A Newport Summer is a love letter to a special place. You and Ruthie Summers met years ago in Newport, and this is your shared passion for people and their relationship to their surroundings. So how did the collaboration with Ruthie come about? Um, So I met Ruthie years ago in Newport. We both spend our summers there. I've done it my entire life. She um, married Luke McDonough, whose family um, has a house just down the street from us in Newport. And she, in a previous life, was a fabulous interior designer. She's kind of stepped back from that in recent years. But while she was still doing it, she came to an art show I had early in my career and uh, really liked my photography and bought a photograph I had taken for one of her clients. And we kind of became friends then and realized we kind of had a similar viewpoint on on Newport and what made it great and what was so fabulous about these old homes that hadn't been touched and this way of life that's kind of very different than every other summer resort. And so 
we thought about things we could do to kind of work together. And we started off doing a series on the kitchens of Newport in these grand old houses that kind of hadn't been touched since the 50s. You have these fabulous, over-the-top, ornate houses and the kitchens, you know, are really just utilitarian. And that was kind of a stark difference from what we see in society today where kitchens have kind of become the, you know, meeting point in a household. They're, they're kind of a place where people hang out. And that really wasn't the case in these houses. They're just these really fabulous, chic kitchens that hadn't been touched since the 50s. And so we started photographing that and pitching that as a story. And that eventually got picked up by the New York Times Tea Magazine. And then after that, we started thinking of other things we could do together. And, and Ruthie suggested that there was kind of enough there to do a book. And we started started pitching it and the rest was kind of history. You talk about how Ruthie helped you see parts of Newport you may have otherwise missed. Were you talking about the kitchens when you said that? Not specifically, but uh, that is probably a good example. That's something I've always appreciated, but I probably wouldn't have thought of that idea on my own. You know, I think she just kind of taught me to see the details more so than the bigger picture. I think I had been photographing kind of from a more wide perspective, just trying to capture the whole room, the whole scene. And she kind of taught me to look at the the little things, the cracks in the walls and the knickknacks and the things that kind of you might not notice at first glance. She really had it came at it from a designer's point of view. And there were a lot of things that I obviously appreciated, but maybe didn't even realize were worth capturing. So A Newport Summer is dedicated to your grandmother, Marion Oates Leiter Charles, Oatsy, who was one of the last of America's grand dames. And this book is a testament to your father, who dared you to be different, and a nod to your mother, who's never cared about who you were or where you came from as long as you were interesting. Your grandmother bought the famous estate called Land's End, Edith Wharton's former cottage that consisted of a main house, a gardener's cottage, an eight-car garage, and a greenhouse. She was great friends with the likes of Nancy Reagan and Jack Kennedy and had a great sense of humor. Also big on the Washington, D.C. social scene for years. So tell me a little bit about your grandmother. My grandmother was a big influence on my life, more on my later life than my early life as a child. She scared the hell out of me. Uh, She wasn't known for her child skills, (laughs) but um, she was just a very prolific figure. She was someone that when you walked in a room, everyone noticed and everyone came to talk to. And she didn't care who you were or where you came from, as long as you were charming and interesting and could kind of keep up with her dry wit. She was famous for saying anything to anybody um, and having no filter, but being so charming and people just kind of rolled with it. I think I didn't really appreciate who she was and the things that she had been through and seen until I kind of was in my 20s and and really sat down and talked to her. And I think I did get a solid 20 years with her like that. I wish I had had even more. She had just lived through so much and met so many interesting people and been friends with so many amazing people that I wish someone could write a book about her. 
One thing that really cracks me up is once your grandma said to Prince, now King Charles, she would die knowing that now he's King Charles. Anywho, she said, you're one hell of a prince to him. She was sitting at dinner with him um, on his right side, which is the, the place of honor at, at a dinner table. And uh, and yeah, she just looked at him and said, you're one hell of a prince. <laughs> um, you know, and she, she was known for doing stuff like that. She was at the White House during the Clinton administration for a party. And um, it was right when the Monica Lewinsky story broke. And uh, no one was sure whether uh, the president would come down or not. And uh, he did. And they were in the receiving line. And my grandmother got to him and said, oh, no. <laughs> uh, she said, sir, I wish I was 23. Um, and then he turned beet red, apparently. You know, she was just uh, she didn't care. She, you know, she'd been friends with with Jack Kennedy, with the Reagans. She'd seen every president and diplomat and just felt totally comfortable and at home and was just this great hostess and philanthropist and just lived a very amazing life that you, you don't really see its ilk much anymore. I think that's why I love this book so much, because it's kind of a throwback to days gone by. I feel like things have changed so much and there aren't that many Otsis left in the world. No, there, I mean, there really aren't that many OGs left in the world. And and I think that's, that's a lot to do with the changing of times. That kind of world doesn't really exist anymore. And so a big part of, of this book for me was trying to capture that last vestiges of that world before it disappears, of those people, of that lifestyle, of those homes. I mean, you can see it, especially now, the people are moving to Newport and to Palm Beach, where I am right now, and they're buying these homes and in some cases, tearing them down, in some cases, gutting them and renovating them. And a lot of the character and things that, that, that make them interesting are, are disappearing. That kind of maximalist pattern on pattern mindset, I, I think it's seeing a little bit of a resurgence with the younger generation, but a lot of people are just painting things white and minimalist and <laughs> it breaks my heart. <laughs> I mean, I, I came from a um, background where you just kind of, uh, it was all additive, shall we say. <laughs> you didn't really take much away. You, you just put more things on the walls and in cupboards and until one of your grandkids came and started calling you a hoarder. I came from the same background. I, I have a, a very old American family and I have gotten so much stuff. And I don't know about you, but I can't pitch it. I would have so much guilt. Yeah, I mean, so many of these things, uh, I mean, you don't even know uh, they, their their background gets lost in, in, in generations in history, but you know they meant something to someone or they might be something important. So it's very hard to throw things away, especially when you don't know it's, it's history. In terms of uh, the whole old money thing, I, I thought it was interesting to see that the Gen Z TikTok influencers have coined a hashtag that started trending last spring, hashtag old money aesthetic. And you say when we talk about old money, we're not talking about where the money comes from or actually how old it is. You say we're talking about mindset. I'd love to hear about that. Back in the day when the term old money first came about and when there was really a divide between old money and new money it really they really were talking about 
how new your money is and and what industry it had been made in. And that was kind of a a reason to keep people out of parties and society, so to speak. Um, And nowadays, when you talk about it, it it really has more to do with a mindset. Nobody cares if you won the lottery or made your money on TikTok. (laughs) It really comes about how you spend it, I guess, and kind of the way you act and just kind of having an appreciation for things that would be considered old money. Again, going back to kind of that maximalist mindset, decorating chintz on chintz and pattern on pattern and, you know, antiques and things like that. Or, you know, when it comes to dressing, how you dress, putting yourself together well, better to be overdressed than underdressed. It is more about that sort of thing than it has anything to do with, with actual wealth and where it comes from. The French novelist Paul Bourget called Newport a town of cottages and remarked on the curious chance that has gathered together on a small island, English abbeys, French chateaux, and Gothic palaces, according to the owner's taste. What makes me giggle is the use of the term cottage when actually describing a mansion. Back in the day, uh, they called them cottages, I think, because that's literally kind of what they were to them. They were their summer cottages. They just went and, and, and used them for the summer and then packed everything up and put sheets over everything and went back to New York or wherever they were from. And they were just kind of their summer homes. Nowadays, uh, I think it's kind of a quaint term. <laughs> the, the meaning must have changed somewhere along the way because they, they would never be described as cottages. But I... Uh, I kind of like it better than mansion. I've always found uh, the term mansion to be somewhat gauche. I don't know where that mindset has come from. I think probably something my mother or grandmother drilled into me. But now it's pretty much established that that's, that's what we should call them. Yeah, I think it just came from not wanting to flaunt anything. I think there was kind of a mixed message there. I think you were told that money talks and wealth whispers. But at the same time, uh, there was a sense of of outdoing everyone else, the the Astors and the Vanderbilt and people like that in Newport were always trying to build bigger houses and throw bigger parties and, and outdo everyone else while at the same time never saying it out loud. So in the book, I adore all of your photos, but my all-time favorite is of your grandmother in her library, surrounded by her books, stacks of magazines, comfortable furniture that exudes elegance. You say it's cluttered, but doesn't look cluttered. And I really think there's an art to that look. Well, it was certainly cluttered. <laughs> I think she would even admit to it. Uh, my mother certainly would. But there there was definitely an art to making it look not cluttered. And I think that came from her, again, having so much stuff and not knowing what to do with it and not wanting to throw anything out, but having a great eye for aesthetics and what looked good and finding some way to pile it up so that it looked meaningful. Describe for me a typical day in Newport in July. A typical day for me is not necessarily a typical day for everyone else in Newport. You know, I say this about my book that this is kind of my perspective, my view of a Newport summer. It's not necessarily everyone else's and I'm not trying to make it everyone else's. I think there's a 
big part of Newport that's built on sailing, that's built on tourism and polo, things like that. And those just aren't necessarily my experiences. So that's not what I'm showcasing. And I get to live a very um, nice lifestyle when I when I come to Newport. Um, it's kind of really is my summer vacation with my family. You know, a lot of going to the beach and uh, my kids go to camp and my wife has recently gotten very into playing Mahjong with her friends, um, <laughs> which sounds like a very old lady thing to do. Yes. <laughs> But but she's even gotten me into playing it, which is fun. But it's a lot of things you would expect on vacation. It's bike rides and going to the beach and playing tennis, fire pit in the evening and dinners with family and friends, uh, going to people's houses, things like that. Nothing terribly exciting, but very nice and a great breather from, from normal reality. <laughs> your family had Land's End for a long time. And then your mom sold it, was that right? And then she took over the house next door that your grandmother named The Whim? Yeah. So my grandmother and my grandfather bought Land's End in the early 50s. And I think at some point she decided that it was too much house and she sold it in the late 50s and kept what was then the eight car garage and the gardener's cottage and a greenhouse and moved into the gardener's cottage and eventually kind of combined it with the eight-car garage and really did a fabulous job decorating it and bringing in moldings from from other houses and things like that. And eventually in the 80s, I think in 1989, my parents came and rebought Land's End. I was seven. I grew up living there in the summers, and we were right next door to my grandmother kind of share, shared a a large property. And then when my grandmother died in 2019, you know, all of my mother's children and, and whatnot had grown up. So I think she decided it was too much house as well. And she was tired of maintaining it. So she sold Land's End and moved into my grandmother's home, which is called The Whim. And now that's where she lives half of the year with my father and I come and, and stay. And, um, you know, it's still a fabulous property. I think of the whole eight, eight acre estate, it's uh, on two acres. Um, right on the water. And it's just a, you know, a really great place to come and spend the summer. And your grandmother designed the garden at the whim and the plants are at the Smithsonian. Apparently it's considered one of the premier gardens in the United States, which I thought was amazing. I actually had no idea that the plans were at the Smithsonian. I, when I, I heard that, I had to go and, and look that up. And you are, you are correct. Uh, they were they were entered into the Smithsonian in 2012. But it's not surprising because uh it really is an amazing garden. Uh, my grandmother had a great passion for horticulture and for just design in general. And, uh, I, you know, my entire life, I don't think I ever saw her once on her knees in the dirt, but she was constantly, <laughs> constantly out there with the, with the gardeners, you know, kind of uh, deciding what goes where and, and things like that. She had the vision. She had the vision, exactly. And, and, she, and she loved plants and she, and, you know, and she and she loved gardens in general. She you know, constantly had stacks of gardening magazines and books and things like that and really had a passion for that sort of thing. Just not for that actual physical aspect of it. 
So where can we find you on the web and social media? Go to my website, nickmealy.com, M-E-L-E, or on Instagram at nickmealyphotography or at a.social.light, which is a Instagram account I have with my family that kind of combines my family life with kind of a Slim Aaron's Wes Anderson aesthetic, very tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, lifestyle blog. Thanks to you and Ruthie <laughs> for giving us all a special peek behind the scenes of one of America's iconic seaside cities, Newport, Rhode Island. Thank you. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book.